0: Melinger is here, so is Vahe Gregorian. I'm Blair Kirkoff, and we're here to talk sports in Kansas City on this podcast, Sports Beat KC. How you doing, guys? Terrific. How are you? Doing okay. Yeah, I'm all right.
1: Honored to be with you, Blair.
0: The honor, Vahe, is mine. Is mine.
1: Well, that's that's true.
0: Hey, it was a busy, <laughs> busy weekend in sports in Kansas City. A uh, lot to talk about here. Let's start with let's start with the Royals. Opening day was Thursday, and by my calculations, the Royals are let's see, two and O in games that are delayed, and oh and one in games that have started on time uh, this year. But two and one, pretty good for. Uh, for the Royals out of the gate. How, how long was it before they won their first series last season? I think it was, think May,
1: it was May 5th. Yeah. Mid-September, I thought it was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it really, was, I think it was May 5th to 7th. I think so, that's what it was. Uh,
0: so, yeah, two out of three from another team that lost 100 games last year. So yeah. take that into account. But uh, uh, what are, what were the developments? I, I When I think about the Royals and what happened on opening weekend, it kind of starts with pitching for me at different levels. But uh, from the get-go – what, uh, what what was the big takeaway from the weekend?
2: Um, okay, so so everything that we talk about should be it's three games out of 162 against a kind of crappy team, right? But if the Royals are going to be good, that's exactly how it's going to be. It was it was a ton of speed um, all over the place, not just stolen bases, but Billy Hamilton tagging up on a fly ball to mid right, you know, not even deep right field. Um, it, it was it was really good pitching. Um, you know, he, here's one thing: like this is kind of a macro deal. Uh, if the Royals are going to be good, they've got three guys on this team with some ceiling who who could be stars. It's Brad Keller, it's Mondesi, and it's Jorge Soler. And all three of those guys were really, really good in this first weekend. If that continues, there's a path. It's it's a narrow path. It's an unlikely path, but there's a path for them to be a good team.
0: Well, hey, what'd you think? You were out there on Sunday.
1: A, a few different things. One is uh, just the, the the starting pitching. It, 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 Keller was the best, of course, but the last, last – with Junis, and um, who's the guy I watched yesterday? Jorge Lopez. Jorge Lopez. Those guys um, kept the Royals in the game, right? It, you, they're getting what they want out of their starting pitching right now. Um, the bullpen is in total flux. The thing that of course is my last impression, because it was a strong impression, was just finally seeing Kyle Zimmer pitch yesterday. And, you know, thinking of it a, a, as you're getting into it, is he, this isn't just a, a moment. This, is, this isn't just a novelty act. He, he's here. And now we need to see where this can build from, right? It's been a long time coming. I think I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I still worry about the trap door falling open for him. It, he's just been so tortured over time with all these injuries. But this is this is a potential building block in a spot on the team where they really need it. So I I'm encouraged by that.
0: And, and you talked to him after the game. What was his, what was his emotions? What what was that about? I mean,
1: uh, it was. It was really sort of infectious, actually. He he literally was still smiling about 45 minutes after the game, and I'm pretty sure it was straight through. Um, and while we were talking to Lopez, uh, typically the format after the game is we the media gets to get with the starting pitcher first. So we were over there, and Kyle was making the rounds, just getting hugs all over the clubhouse. Um, and, that was, and I got to talk to him for a few minutes after the, the media scrum, and uh, I'll, I guess I'll always remember him saying he felt like he was floating off the field when he left, and I did. I got with his dad afterwards too, and his dad was just constantly wiping tears away. Um, and some some reader called me on this today. I quoted his dad saying that, that you know Kyle had cross, uh crawled a lot of crawled across a lot of broken glass. Try saying that, <laughs> and the guy said, well you know this is kind of relative, and that's true. I mean he did get a five million dollar bonus, and I, I don't think he literally crawled through any any glass, but. But it's a great moment. It's a great moment. And uh, good for him, good for the organization.
0: And Sam, uh, what does it mean for the bullpen? Because I don't think the bullpen had a especially good weekend. No. No, it did not. I mean, if, if this is real with Kyle Zimmer,
2: um, it's a huge piece. That's an inning that can be taken care of. I mean, his stuff – We can just talk like the the journey is incredible and the journey, you know, you should read Vahe's story and and Lynn wrote a good story from spring training about it as well. Like the the journey is incredible and it could be almost a movie at some point. But if you just talk about him as a big league pitcher, pretty badass. I mean, he's got he's got 95, 96. He's got an incredible change up. The, 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 not only is it a huge
1: change of speeds, I mean,
2: I think it's like 80 miles an hour. I mean, it was like a, 76 a huge, yeah, I
1: saw yesterday, one of those came and in. And yeah. it dives, it yeah, dives yeah.
2: like down and to the right. <laughs> down and the right, sorry. <laughs> um, you know, he's, he's I'm got, trying to get that Fox sorry. tracker in my <laughs> yeah. mind here. He's, uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, just, he's got a lot of stuff to, to get big league hitters out. And look, that's been true. I saw him in Omaha, um, was it last summer or the summer before? And he was dominant there like when he's healthy, that's always been true. But to be able to see it on a big league mound against hitters who are in the big leagues, I, I think it was just kind of confirmation of what we've all heard, but he, he's got some, I mean, he can be an eighth, ninth inning guy.
1: Quick, quick aside or corollary to your point, and I, I'm not gonna say it as eloquently as um, his dad said it yesterday, but the point with Kyle has always been, you don't really have any doubt about what his ability is. I mean, I mean of course, clearly you have to see it go through each level, but just his ability to stay healthy. I think the, the implication is if he's the guy, if he's just able to be him, he's going to be a good major league pitcher at, at a, and maybe a dominant one. Maybe. I mean, I guess we need to be a little careful here, right? They're so he's pitched one inning in the major leagues now. <laughs> yeah. But but it's a germ of hope for a guy that was part of what they were banking their future on.
0: And i got to be careful when I say this company because – I've been pronouncing, of course, we call it Line Drive our whole lives, right? But Drive Line <laughs> uh, has played a pretty big role in this. And uh, it, I'm not, is, is he the first Royals player to go through? I believe there he is. In the Seattle based company that's, that rehabs athletes. And what, what is the significance of him having, of the Royals sending him? I don't know if the Royals sent him there. Or on- it, take us through that.
2: The way it's been described to me, is on their advice. And, and this yeah. was after they had, you know, it was an administrative move, but they released him with the idea that he would sign right back. It was kind of just an administrative, we can get into the weeds later. Um, but I, I think it's really important. I think it's a, it's a the, the Royals have always been viewed around baseball, much of it fair, some of it not, as behind the times. As regressive as you know trying to win in 2019 in ways that really worked in the 1960s like that's sort of the exaggerated view and so this is the royals and look like last chance right like I mean you know backs against the wall but embracing kind of this new way and look I don't think there's backwards as the industry Tends to believe. I don't think there's forward thinking as maybe they think <laughs> in, internally, but I think that is significant that they sort of open their minds, open their hearts to, you know, sort of letting somebody else ha- have a crack with him.
1: And I, I think that was that was a point his dad reinforced yesterday too. That they, he had to step out of everything. Right? It wasn't going to work. His dad even used the uh, the insanity line about you know yeah. th- the definition of it being repeating the same stuff and expecting different results. And. It, that's testimony of what you said Sam I mean that they the Royals were willing to and again backs to the wall but willing to say all right let's try this and it, it was interesting I guess we don't have to get too much into the weeds about about the the actual transactional way this went but they did release them but stand by him at the same time meanwhile though there was a chance other teams were calling um, and I'm not sure if offers specifically came or not but but Kyle wanted to be a Royal, and the Royals were still invested in him. They were never um, you know, just throwing him out.
2: That that to me is one of the sort of the, the most significant parts of this is the Royals have always Dayton Moore, this front office, this leadership group has made baseball personal in a way that I, I think other front offices don't do. It's so analytical. Players are commodities, all that stuff. The Royals have always right and wrong. Some of it's been good, some of it's been bad. But this to me, with Kyle Zimmer sticking with him, was it seven years ago, it was a 2012 draft, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, seven years, all these ups and downs, and they stuck with him this long. The 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 I mean, the proof is in they released him. He could have said no. He he could have gone and tried, you know, sign with the the Yankees or the Mariners or the Marlins or the Rangers, anybody else, but he felt something he felt a bond he felt a love he helped, he felt some support might be the best word um i mean that, that that is the royals to me like at their purest that you know sometimes and again sometimes it works sometimes it's counterproductive but but they they make things so personal and i think it really helps with with kyle zimmer
1: it's a really interesting twist on this whole thing isn't it when, when you're thinking about the things that distinguish the royals whether, whether it's they're not as forward thinking as they think they are they're not as backwards as mm-hmm. others think there's this little element that is part of what defines them, and it really is sort of just drizzling down from Dayton at sure. some point, right? I mean, it's it's Dayton's way. Um, and a, a, an example you're making me think of as you say this is Alex Gordon, which has been a complicated thing, totally. right? But I remember Dayton saying this when they signed Alex Gordon to what, at that moment, was a happy, happy moment and, you know, a triumph. Um, and talking about how he, he really was – Never wanting to take advantage of a relationship because the relationship was more important, basically, and that that, that fits into this in a in a way I'm not able to, to bring back down to earth. But it just it just always stuck with me that 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 is sort of one of their prime directives that that's how they're going to think, for better or worse, as you note.
2: They, they've shown loyalty. I mean that that's how they built the championship, right? Like. A lot of teams would have walked away from Alcides Escobar. Maybe the Royals should have. But then he was the, was it the ALCS yeah. MVP? MVP, right. Yeah. Um, you know, he was hitting lead. I mean, he was a key part of a, of a world champion. Alex Gordon um, was a, a failure at third base. And maybe if the Royals were in a different part of their development, they would have walked away from him. But let's try him in left field. And he had the faith in the organization that they had his best interest. So we tried. I mean, you know, th- th- there is a long list. Of, of, of these examples that, that we could go through and that's that's sort of that's an edge that the royals have and if they can combine it with more of an openness to things like driveline uh, you know d- different ways of not just metrics but just you know th- there's a a um you know an advanced scouting way now where, where it's not just like an old man with a notebook <laughs> or whatever you know if, if the royals can get into that a little bit you know it, they can sort of build up on this
0: let's let's cover one more Royals topic before we leave it and that is the idea of Ian Kennedy as in a closing mm-hmm. role for the Royals is this something we expected uh, Sam what did uh, what did we know about this coming out of spring training they started talking about it
2: in spring training that that it was a possibility uh, I when they brought it up in the beginning I didn't think they would actually go through with it because I thought they I, they value guys that can just give innings, and I thought they felt like even if they were mediocre, <laughs> sub average innings, 180 of those from Ian Kennedy would be would be a valuable thing, you know, for this team in this in this point of its d- development. Uh, I applaud them for doing it. You know, starter stuff plays better in the bullpen. He's not gonna get flustered. Back, you know, uh, it's a, it's a new role, but he's been around 289 starts, I think. I mean, he's 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 done it, so he's not gonna get nervous in that role. I don't think he'll be the closer all year. I actually think there's some room for Kyle Zimmer, um, you know, to get in there. You know, Josh Stomont's gonna get a chance. He's gonna be up at some point. I mean, they've got some other arms, but it's they're getting something out of a guy who has given them, you know, remarkably little after signing a five-year, seventy-two million dollar contract.
1: The only thing I'd add is I think it it it's a different sort of way to try to salvage what what he's what his contract has meant because it's 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 been it's been an albatross right i mean it, it, yeah. a real problem for them and so if they can tweak this and it it matters i mean I think they're kind of just guessing at it though i I really do, but why not yeah. try something else yeah.
0: okay, so maybe for the only time this year i'll say let 's leave the first place royals uh <laughs> discussion and <laughs> Hey, it's Blair Kirkhoff, and if you're listening to this, you love Kansas City sports, whether it's the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting, Mizzou, KU, or K-State, and no one covers these teams like the Kansas City Star. If you currently subscribe to the paper or have a digital subscription, thank you for your support. And if you don't, here's a great offer. It's called Sports Pass, unlimited digital access to every sports story and video on KansasCity.com, and it's just $30 for the first year. It's the best sports value in town. Just eight cents a day or two fifty a month. You can't beat that. Subscribe now at kansascity.com/slash sportspass. Welcome back. Vahe Gregorian <laughs> and Sam Mellinger. I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We're here with, uh, we're talking sports in Kansas City on Sportsbeat KC and KC was touched by the madness this weekend. March Madness passed through uh, Sprint Center with the Midwest Regional and uh, when the bracket came out a couple weeks ago and we saw that uh, the number four seed in the Midwest region was Kansas and the number six seed was Iowa State. I think a lot of A lot of Midwesterners went out and bought tickets. And the four teams that ended up coming to Kansas City uh, were North Carolina, Kentucky, Auburn, and Houston. So the closest of those teams was 600 miles away in Lexington, Kentucky. Nevertheless, uh, we saw some terrific games, some surprises, which is sort of the the MO of March. And Vahe, you and I were there on, on Friday and, in fact, you have covered Auburn's last previous two games to their championship on, on Sunday. Um, I I'm, imagine when you go into a game thinking about what you might write about, especially for a night game, um, uh, you're thinking of the possibility of Auburn not winning the game. It's, it, you, you don't go into it thinking Auburn, right? No, oh, right. But you came out of it you know with a different impression
1: a- absolutely and and you know let's go back to the day the bracket came out um i remember sort of the, the fantasy bracket for us here would have been carolina kentucky kansas and iowa state and i remember um a wise guy in the newsroom pointing out that uh, well could be but what if the bracket gets busted up like the ones we got into last year where especially the one where k state was in the regional that's right um so these things these things happen and uh I'd say Kansas City still got its money's worth, though, didn't it? With uh, the way it played out, and I think having the marquee teams like Carolina and Kentucky here was still pretty special. And then, really, the games themselves were were just a treat. And and, and yesterday was uh, was the the best of all. Um, and and you were knee deep in it, Blair. And and uh, I, I was at the Royals game, kind of keeping an eye on it, and and sort of thinking, uh, in all candor, I hope. I hope Kyle Zimmer pitches because there's not much to write here uh, unless he pitches. And luckily he did, but but seeing that scene with the Chuma coming in on the wheelchair and, and uh, you just started started getting the feeling it was meant to be for Auburn.
0: Yeah. You you know, to to have defeated Kansas as easily as they did, of course they came out um, on fire and that game was over by the, if not the first and the second media timeout, they were, Two point lead over North Carolina at halftime, but ended up stretching that thing out early in the second half, and and that's when you mentioned uh, uh, Chuma Okiki suffered the the torn ACL, and I thought that was going to really impact Auburn for the Kentucky game, uh, and but it turns out Kentucky' the closest game that Auburn played of the of this uh, of that Kansas, Carolina, Kentucky trilogy, but then end up winning it in overtime and. Meant to be sounds like, uh, you know, it's a, kind of an apt way to describe the, the, the feel that you have with, with Auburn now. Um, our friend Sam's too young to remember this, but it almost has that uh, <laughs> that, that Arizona in 1997 feel, right? The um, the Miles Simon and, you know, Bibby team that uh, that beat those three teams, not, not in succession like Auburn did, but beat those three teams on the way to an improbable national championship.
1: I remember... 1997 very well in a couple ways because Sam had just been born (laughs) Um, No, because Blair uh, I was at the post-dispatch at the time and and uh, You very kindly decided to come through st. Louis I think maybe you flew in and we drove down to Memphis together for that and um, Oh, I guess we ended up in Birmingham yeah. Then, yeah. We drove, Or Memphis, Memphis first. Yeah, I think it was Memf- okay. Memphis and then Birmingham. That's yeah. Right. Memphis, then Birmingham. So we were, I was kind of on board for the whole thing with, with uh, UKC star guys. And uh, that locker room when Kansas lost in Birmingham, that was as devastated a locker room as, as I can ever remember seeing. I mean, and it's sort of a side point here, but I, I, that just stayed with me all this time. Our, our friend Ryan Robertson was uh, one of those guys, I believe. And, um, and, and, Anyway, I just maybe it was on my mind just seeing Roy Williams again uh, this weekend, and and another tearful ending for for Roy in the tournament.
0: Yeah, and I was kidding about Sam. You were were you you were in school then, weren't you? (laughs) Oh yeah, (laughs) yeah yeah. yeah. School aged. (laughs) Yeah, you know, but but brings up an an interesting point in that the one of the things that I love about March isn't just you know we you see competitive games all during the regular season of college basketball, um, one-point games, overtime games, everything. But it, when the stakes are as high as they are for March, it, it raises the emotional level of, of the, the celebration and then the defeat and you see these, you go into these locker rooms after the, the, the team is lost to be eliminated and it is devastating and th- it can be so devastating in there and the celebration on the floor is so joyous. Bruce Pearl, the Auburn coach, was, uh, you know, was beside himself going to his first Final Four. And look, we, we all appreciate and love the, the championship events that we've either watched or covered. But I just think there's a, a different level of emotion when it comes to the NCAA tournament. There is. Uh, my
2: kids aren't old enough to remember this. But
0: <laughs> the, uh,
2: the worst that I can remember was uh, Kansas when they lost to Northern Iowa in either Tulsa or Oklahoma City in the second round and there was just open wailing. I mean just open loud almost like uncomfortable. Why am I here sort of <laughs> sobbing? It was awful. Um the like I think like a couple of the sort of mental images of this tournament and this goes along with what you're just saying is um it's not Tyus Jones it's Trey Jones, right? The uh the point guard yeah. from Duke how he was after that game last night when, console- when they lost. I mean just for a long time just you know missed the the handshake line because he's just you know can't you know wrap his mind around that stuff there the other thing i think about like the, the so yes you you get each extreme each extreme very much cuz these are college kids in some ways it's even more than it is like in in professional sports cuz these are college kids a lot of them this is the last time they're ever going to play and and i think you're more emotional <laughs> when you're in college than you are when you're 32 or whatever um, in the pros but um, the other thing all of that the stakes and this is what we're talking about all the, the the stakes the pressure all that stuff um it either ruins the way that you play or it lifts the way that you play and in the elite eight this was an absolutely amazing round of basketball uh, I don't think I mean I don't maybe you can go back maybe this is recency bias but how many times has a player, played as well in dominating as Carson Edwards and lost. You know that that's as well as you can play in in a lot of ways and he still wasn't good enough to win. That's how good Virginia was. You know, uh that Duke Michigan State game, that there was a lot of high level that was a high level basketball. Texas Tech. I mean, you know, the teams in that round for whatever reason seemed to you know, rise to the occasion, even the ones that lost. You know, even the ones that lost. That that was an incredible round of basketball.
0: Let's talk about the end of the regulation of that Virginia-Purdue game because that, that was, that play in the final 5.9 seconds, I think will go down as one of the top plays in the history of the NCAA mm-hmm. tournament, the sequence of events. It was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. The f- phenomenal, what, what had to happen for that to succeed and for, for Virginia to advance in the tournament to the Final Four. And let's start with the background of this team is about to lose a game, uh, you know, to a Purdue team that's more than capable of winning that game and, and advancing to the, deserving to advance to the Final Four. But Virginia, of course, was the team that became the first in NCAA tournament history to lose as a number one seed to a sixteen seed. So I don't know if this would have been as devastating, but it would have been really disappointing for Virginia to, to lose a game like this. So. Perdue's at the uh, or Virginia's at the line uh, with a two shot. You know, uh, uh, Ty Jerome is standing at the free throw line. He's got two shots. They're down three, right? Mm-hmm. Virginia is down three with with five point nine seconds to play. He makes the first one. I read in his postgame comments that he did not intend to miss the second one.
1: Oh, I assumed he did. I, I assumed he did, and I still assume he did. And wonder if he felt some incentive not to say. That he did. like well, Maybe he thought it was against well, the rules or maybe. something. I, he, I don't know. It seemed weird to me. His,
0: was- his line was, he made the first one on purpose. <laughs> 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 but so the second one, you, and usually when you miss a free throw like that, you miss it long. You're trying to hit it off the back iron, not the front iron. But this one bounced off the front iron, and... Um, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. Diakite. Diakite, right, Uh, for Virginia, who's not on the inside because of the free throw alignment. He's the the second person in, but the ball bounces far enough for him to tap it back, and he doesn't tap it back to to the three-point line where you'd think, you know, that's where somebody would be. He taps it all the way to the Mm backcourt. He's able to do this because there's 5.9 seconds to go and not 3.9 seconds to go. But the freshman guard, Clark, runs it down and has the presence of mind to see... D'Kike open, you know, from about 12 feet from the basket, throws a bullet, a strike, and catch has to catch it above his head and shoot it above his head because there's no time left. The ball goes through the, the hoop after the buzzer sounds, ties the game, it goes into overtime. It's a mind-blowing sequence of events that I think you, you could spend days breaking down everything that happened and what should have happened, starting with the fact that Purdue missed a free throw to keep it a three-point game from that Ryan Clark kid or, yeah. or Ryan Klein, Ryan who, Klein yeah. who was an incredible shooter during the tournament. Anyway, I hope that the Richmond or the Roanoke or the Norfolk Papers or Charlottesville did a, a, a sequence, a breakdown of, of the, the 5.9 seconds. I was just blown away by all of that. I was thinking about that all night. That sequence, I was thinking about it all night, and it was just, it was an amazing play.
1: I think I saw you throw out on Twitter shortly after uh, just the question of should they have fouled there to do that, and I guess part of the question now to me, now that you mentioned the time frame, is could they have waited two more seconds to foul?
0: I think, and Sam, I I know we've talked about this, it is such a, you know, frenzied moment, you know, and to ask a defensive player to foul at a certain time, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think maybe asking a little too much, especially if the the guy with the ball is he is he about to shoot? Yep. You know, could it be a you know could it be in the act of shooting kind of which you don't want at all? Um, I, I think Purdue was okay with the foul when it when it occurred, but yeah, don't you? Yeah,
2: think? I, I think that it was the smart play. You, you'd rather have it be three point nine than five point nine, but. I just don't, realistically, I don't know that you can ask a college kid in the middle of that chaos to keep his eye on the clock and then also his <laughs> yeah, guy Yeah. and foul, you know, it's I, I think what you can do is say, go for the steal in the backcourt once they cross half court foul, I think that's what you do. And, and the sequence, you know, look, it, it makes for a less, you know, sort of uh, entertaining game in most, not in this one, but in most games to foul, just, you know, it takes away that last second shot but i think it's a smart move you know strategically because if you think about uh if they don't do that how many crazy shots did uh Kyle Kyle Guy, like, yeah, Kyle, Guy. Kyle Guy hit in the guarded off balance three pointers if if he hits another one and you didn't foul you get justifiably crushed how do you not foul right. and the the string of events i've never said this before but the, the the string of events to happen this is the part i've never said before perfectly missed free throw <laughs> you know what i mean like just to be you know sort of like you mentioned most most guys go long this was short to get it get the tap out um that pass had to be perfect that pass i know we're we're you know this is a audio medium but that pass had to be a bullseye yes. if the pass is behind diakite he, he can't you know right. it, it you know it just doesn't work um to, to have that and then that's still a tough shot over was that over harms o- over the 7-3 guy
1: I
0: don't know if it was over – I
1: can't remember it was might have been sort of more around him than over him. I'm not sure. Um, but, just, but, yeah.
2: The sequence yeah. of events that had to happen once you foul, I think, is, is is more unlikely. It's less likely than, you know, Kyle Guy coming around a double screen and, and hitting an off-balance three-point. I think you, you have to do that. And the moment – and they're going to show this. This will be on, on one shiny moment for sure. The moment that I think, like, encapsulates kind of what we're talking about, the emotion stuff, is after that um, – Carson Edwards is waiting at the, you know, they're, they're about to throw oh, the ball yeah, up yeah. And, the, and, the, and he just kind of smiles and like laughs, like, are you kidding me? To Diaquita who kind of laughs, he's like, well, you've been doing this the whole game, you know? It's like, <laughs> that's the moment, you know? I don't care about Purdue, I don't care about Virginia, but I loved that moment and I was so wrapped up in that moment, that, that's, why the term, that's why they have a $12 billion contract or whatever for that moment.
0: Let, let's leave the topic on one thought here and that's, Vaje, you had an incredible opportunity a year ago to sit next to Tony Bennett the Virginia coach, at a, at a function in St. Louis yeah. uh, weeks after he, you know, lost to UMBC yeah. in Maryland-Baltimore County. And I, I remember you telling me that you had some really favorable impressions. Uh,
1: absolutely. And I, I, I can't remember, maybe you've known Tony for some years. I, I had met him incidentally before, but last year we had a U.S. Basketball Writers Association banquet in St. Louis. And the poor, the twist for poor Tony was all the voting for National Coach of the Year is before the NCA tournament. <laughs> So he's national coach of the year, and then he suffers the the greatest indignity in a sense of ever in the NCAA tournament of being the first team, the first guy to have his team lose as a number six, as a number one seed to a number sixteen. And some guys might not show up for these events, find a, find a reason not to be there. He actually showed up in in San Antonio for the Final Four. You'll recall at the AP thing, and was amazingly gracious. Then he was that way immediately after the defeat, and in St. Louis, he he. He was self-deprecatory, dep- but also it was clear to me the whole time he was he was going to make this um, a broader thought in his life about the meaning of this and how, to, how, how do we respond to this. And I don't mean just the reflexive, oh, we get up, up, up off the mat. Why does this happen? Why do you have this in your journey? Things like that. And uh, it was really um, pretty inspiring, actually and it, and he was a great dinner company i sat right next to him for two hours up there and he's like whispering jokes when other people are talking and um he was uh whitey herzog was there and and signed a baseball cap um i think it was a cardinals cap and tony's not a cardinals fan but he he was sort of a gog if that's still a word that we can use uh with whitey herzog i didn't mean to rhyme there but it just happened um but i, I i'll always remember tony bennett from that and uh Cindy and I were actually watching the game um the other night and I was trying to explain to her how how cool it was to see this for him and um I think I got it across to her.
2: You know you know what it made me think of is this is maybe a little bit random but a few years ago it's been many years ago now Dirk Nowitzki won the MVP award in the NBA and they lost in the first round. Right that that's year right. as a one. Yeah. Ooh. And and he had his MVP press conference as it happened, like as the voting is done regularly. It, it was kind of similar deal. And, and that press conference was, ve- it was almost like apologetic. It was like, Oh, I can't believe I won this award. There's a big disappointment. You know, that Tony Bennett was like the, the, the smart ins- inspirational upgrade from that moment. Like that, that, that's kind of the default setting. I think a lot of us would probably go to, ah, you know, think about what couldn't happen. Tony almost immediately, even after the, I can't remember who, who the the locker, the yeah, the it was in the hallway rotor. right after. You're right. They always do that interview. Yeah. And right in that moment, he was. I was like, oh my, I, this is an impressive, because he said that. Um, you wrote it. You wrote it again. But uh, uh, this is part of our story now. Nothing we can do about that. It's up to us to how we use that or how we, yeah. you know, how we take this into the future. It was such a cool message that, you know, not to get too deep, but we can all use that in a lot of
1: no, my, no. I you know I, That's why it was so lives. cool, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. struck you because it, it's more than about just the moment in sports. Yep. It's like, you know, I, I, I could use a little of that way of thinking in some <laughs> yes. of the mishaps I create yep. or yep. have happened to me. is yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what no I meant to say. My own. Yeah, nothing to do with me. <laughs> I love those
0: stories. Um, guys, it was, it was great. Vahe Gregorian, Sam Mellinger, I'm Blair Kirkoff. Follow the coverage, uh, all things Kansas City sports, in the print editions of the Kansas City Star digitally on kansascity.com and download the podcast, Sports Beat KC. Thank you very much.